views expressed in our episode are ours alone and do not represent any other organizations. Our episodes discuss internet crimes against children and cases that involve the exploitation of children and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Catfish Cops podcast. My name is Tony Godwin. My name is Brandon Poor. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, so uh, that was <laughs> I great. That you, that, you, that you just did a, like a, a nice pause in between. I was, I was trying to figure out what you were thinking about, but uh, I think we're shouting out to the Crimes Conference, right? Absolutely, the Crimes <laughs> Conference, yeah. The now again and in person coming up in August of 2022 everything's coming out, you know, trickles of who's coming in. So if uh, you're a listener and you're in law enforcement or you're in the umbrella, one of the, you know, other uh, disciplines that uh, is able to go to that, please go. Cause you're going to really enjoy it. It's a great conference. And why are we shouting out so much now? It's not just because we can't think of anything. Um, it's also because we want you to know this is the time to start preparing. Yep. Um, if you're in this field or if you're in law enforcement thinking about coming into this field, uh, you want to start getting your your registration done now. You want to start submitting your ideas for case studies now. Those things are happening now because as the time gets closer, A, um, the price goes up. Um, because, you know, obviously the space and the, the stuff that they've got planned starts becoming more restricted. Yeah. Um, so they, so the earlier, the better, like if you plan on going, especially if you're not from this area and you're coming to Dallas from somewhere, yep. you want to get into hotels early. Um, I'll just tell you this, if you wait, um, too much longer, all of the hotels are going to be gone. Like, yep. and I think anyone that's been to the conference in person in the past will tell you that the hotels, not just the hotel it's in or the ones right across the street, but the hotels within like six or seven mile radiuses fill up really quickly because you've got five, 6,000 people. And this is the first year that it's back in person um, since 2019, I think. Yeah. So, Yep. Yeah, so we're looking at probably an influx of people um, coming from all over the world. We've we've actually talked by email to people from other countries who are trying to make it here. Um, and so the shout outs are to let you know that this is not one to be missed. It is going to be epic. Yeah, uh, they are bringing it back in person. They are bringing some really cool stuff. Um, and Tony and I are are at least in theory right now, um, doing some planning for some cool stuff that we're, you know, I say in theory because I don't want to say like, Oh, we're doing this and, <laughs> and then, then it doesn't happen. change, you know, <laughs> like I, you know, get hit by a bus tomorrow, but if everything goes as planned, we're doing some really cool stuff there at the conference. Um, especially having to do with kind of the field we're in. Uh, and then our hope is, Right, Tony? We're yeah. going to try to do some 
in-person interviews with people there. We've already talked to some people ahead of time to line up some interviews um, from some really cool guests. We've got some people that we've emailed back and forth with and, and have set up interviews with already that you're just going to be like, this is so like, they are so cool. They're so, they are, they have presented, they're great speakers, but they're also experts in their field and they bring a lot of, just a wealth of knowledge to this, um, to this kind of, this topic. Yeah. It's, it's going to be very, very cool. Uh, the opportunities that, uh, you know, have been presented to us, uh, to, to give a try to do some things, thinking outside the box a little bit, being a little bit inventive, um, you know, similar to what's the, you know, like a, the man on the street kind of thing. And, and while we do have some things that are gearing up that are more planned, there are going to be plenty of other things and opportunities to go. And so, we're really pumped. You know, we're, we're grateful to the conference. Uh, we're grateful to DCAC for all they do for us. And so uh, if we can just help pay that back in just a small way by, you know, yep. making a shout out here and getting people to sign up and sign up early, then do it because it's going to be really cool. I, I agree with you. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, then when you get there, um, come up and say, Hi, because we're probably going to like stop and talk to you and you'll probably end up on the podcast after that. So, you know, stop <laughs> right? in and say, Hey, and, and your voice can be the next one you hear, you know, on episode, you know, 642. Yeah. yeah. Wherever we are at that point in time, but whatever uh, it is at that point. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I know, know you guys loved hearing <laughs> from Bill Walsh, right. Um, and Lana. Yeah. I think that that's, Dude, I, I got to I mean, tell you, the, the number of downloads we got um, off of those two episodes was pretty redonkulous. Like, I'm not even kidding. I, it's the feedback even. Yeah. I mean, and we knew that. We knew that you were going to be like, oh, my gosh, Bill and Lana are rock stars. So we knew that going in. But then hearing people come back and go like, oh, my gosh, Bill and Lana were rock stars. And we're like, yeah, that, that's Told true. You. We knew that. Right. Yeah. All right, so uh, rock stars. Who are we talking to today? Rock stars. Yeah, Why? man, coming back for week number two. He's a, a glutton for punishment. Randall Snyder, our new friend uh, from Arizona, from the Pinal County Sheriff's Office, twenty-year veteran, now retired, sort of doing some retired reserve ish. stuff. Retired-ish, maybe that's the term. Uh, ish is probably the the best way to put that. <laughs> retired-ish. Well, uh, I think. You're like, you've moved from law enforcement to esteemed professorship or something like that, right? And so you're you're doing all sorts of stuff now in retirement-ish. Yeah, the, the esteemed might be a stretch, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, teaching at Arizona State University, which uh, is my alma mater. So it uh, was very cool to be able to come back. And um, the great thing is, uh, given my background, they let me teach um, – a number of different subjects, but the the most fun I have is um, an, an undergraduate sex crimes class and a graduate level sex crimes class, and so I get to kind of take everything from my career and cool. really put it back out there in a way that's being taught to the next generation of of people. and And the funny thing is, I actually uh, just what, uh, two semesters ago had a student in my graduate uh, sex crimes class. Uh, who is an ICAC agent uh, back east. And so uh, it was really interesting to be able to uh, chit-chat back and forth and, and share stories and stuff. And uh, we even traded challenge coins. Oh. So, uh, 
Did you see that? Is there a big difference between how ICAC's done where you are versus where he was from? Uh, she and uh, no, um, not really. Or she, uh, sorry. Tony, the biggest difference was um, she is a federal agent. And so uh, obviously the differences between the federal system and the state system is a little different, but it was, it was really neat to kind of see how things are done in different jurisdictions and the way the, the charging uh, is different. The, the sentencing is, is vastly different. Um, well, but, yes, because as we learned last week, <laughs> you, you get 10,000 years from Arizona and everywhere else you get normal sentencing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I think that we should make the 10,000 years, the new norm. So that. Oh, I don't like, disagree with that. You know, I mean, it's a, it, as we learned from last week, like, not only do you go to prison forever, but your ghost goes to prison forever and has to, you know, pay the same penance. That's uh, that's just fantastic. You know, did you do? Uh, we didn't really talk the last week about it, but uh, I guess it's worth mentioning now. Like, did you have instances of you know working jointly with the feds there? Uh, you know, during your time in ICAC. Yeah. Um, so the first two years um, that I was doing. Uh, ICAC exclusively. I was on the task force. I was a, uh, a TFO um, and the Arizona ICAC works uh, with the FBI. And so uh, worked fairly closely with them. Once I uh, left the task force and was kind of doing things back on my own, um, I started partnering with HSI a bunch and uh, got to do some really cool things. Matter of fact, they took me to uh, Las Vegas um, to arrest a guy who uh, was one of my boyfriends at the time and was wanting to pimp me out. Wow. Um, 14-year-old me, not me, me. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it, 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 during the course of it, he was talking about buying me a bus ticket to bring me up there, and he was uh, pretty sophisticated in it in that he was saying, now make sure you don't take your phone. They can track it, and I'm going to pick you up at the state line. Um, but it, because he didn't want to, transport me across state lines. Um, but he, uh, uh, was very concerned about making sure that I deleted all of our messages so that, uh, I couldn't be tracked. And, uh, he seemed fairly sophisticated, um, and then kind of dropped off. And there was some concern that maybe he had found a, a real victim. And so, uh, I went with HSI up to Las Vegas and we were able to locate him and take him into custody. And he's, um, I believe still awaiting sentencing. He's taken his plea, but there was some, uh, uh, some difficulties with COVID that delayed his sentencing for a while. Oh, and we have talked about that on this, on this show quite a bit, right? That's always a fear when you're talking to someone and they, you know, stop talking that we, you know, we, we want people to choose not to commit crimes, so that's not the worry. But oftentimes we know that when someone stops talking to us, there's a chance, and and we've seen it occur where they're actually talking to real victims, and so there becomes a a, a very serious fear in our you know minds that that's occurring, and we're trying to prevent that. So, right, absolutely. All right. Yeah, I- much oh. rather they exploit me than a, a real kid, but there's always that that chance that they're cheating on me. <laughs> yes, indeed. We could go at great lengths on that, on a whole episode just on that alone, I think. But uh, for uh, 
those who didn't catch last week's episode, please go check it out. You'll, you will, uh, enjoy it, man. That was, uh, quite a story, but, um, this week if we you didn't check last week's episodes and you don't get the ghost reference. So that's true. Yeah. That'll go right over your head. And, uh, but it will make sense when you listen to it. So, uh, as far as, uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, tell us about this case. We, you had sent us some, uh, kind of just, you know, bullet point stuff from this, but this was a, uh, what, a 2019 case, right? Right. So this was um, an interesting case in that it originated um, in Australia. Uh, and it's it's kind of funny to think how many cases um, I had that all came from similar geographic areas at probably eight or say, nine. Didn't we, didn't we do this case last week of the Australia case? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I had eight or nine in the UK. I had a couple around Europe, but uh, three or four out of, out of, uh, Australia and all of them out of new South Wales. So I don't know if that, uh, says something about that, that area, but was founded by criminals. So I'll give them a break on that. I don't know. <laughs> new, new South Wales listening. They're going, uh, maybe it says something about Arizona. I don't know what you're, <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, they, you know, they say that, it with a cooler accent though. Right. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, yeah, there's something to be said for, for Arizona too. Unfortunately, we um, love but, both you know, Arizona and new South Wales. I didn't mean to derail us. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go back. Cyber tip from Australia. Go there. So the cyber tip came out because, uh, two young girls, uh, they were 14, 15 years old, um, had reported being sextorted, uh, by an individual on, um, Snapchat. And for anybody that doesn't recognize the term sextortion, um, it's something that's really, I don't know if you guys have seen it a lot, but it really took hold in Arizona where people were reaching out on Snapchat. They would, uh, make themselves, you know, kind of buddy, buddy, they get the person feeling comfortable, get that one fairly innocuous, questionable picture, and then use it to extort additional from them. And, and, uh, a number of my victims talked about the, um, terror that came from wondering whether that picture was going to get sent out to their friends, their family, their teachers, things like that. And as a result, they took increasingly uh, more uncomfortable photos, uh, and videos and sent things that they otherwise wouldn't have because they were so afraid of what was going to, what was going to get published. Yeah. We, I know we've talked about it. Yeah. We, we, we see it more often than not. And unfortunately the platform certainly doesn't help (laughs) by any means. We probably need to do another episode. I think, you know, we had an episode early on kind of an educational episode, um, but we probably need to do a whole episode on just sextortion because yeah. um, that I know we covered it, but I, I mean, just the amount of times we're seeing it. I mean, I got a call about that kind of thing going on just today um, and we are seeing it all the time. And that seems to be the thing that we focus most on when we are being asked to do educational presentations like we are having to speak to parents about this problem more often than not, because it's like either they've already seen it happen or they've heard the stories about it happening. And it's like, it's so prevalent right now. Yeah. And and I think that it would be a, a key thing to put into presentations for kids too, because what, what I've found from a number of these cases and talking to the victims is these kids are so afraid to, 
report to their parents that they made one little mistake that they compounded. And I think that by trying to help kind of remove some of that stigma of, yeah, I made a mistake, let's not make it worse, we might be able to nip it in the bud a little bit faster um, before the pictures really get bad and before it starts becoming um, detrimental to their their mental health because a number of them, uh, victims that I've talked to, have indicated that they were uh, had suicidal ideations um, to get away from the extortion. And so yeah. uh, before some somebody gets hurt, uh, we got to have that conversation. Yeah, and I think parents think like, you know, well, obviously my kid doesn't have anything that they are on. Um, you know, like the dark web where they could be extorted for these things, right? Is that, you know, what do you say to that parent who says, well, my, my kids, you know, they've only got the normal things on their phone. They're not <laughs> talking on the dark web. So there's no way this could happen to them. Uh, unless your child only has a flip phone and no access to the internet, <laughs> they have some, um, be it, you know, be it Roblox, be it Fortnite. Snapchat, Instagram, you name it. If, if there is a platform with children on it, that platform has creeps on it, trying to get to those children. And I've seen everything from, um, like I said, Roblox all the way through, you know, some of the discord servers. Oh yeah. Uh, and so if your child is online at all, they are a potential target and the parents really need to start recognizing that this is not a dark web issue. This is not a bad kids issue. This is an every kid has the ability to be exploited because these guys will find a way to nudge their way in. And if you're listening and you have a kid in your life in any way possible, there is so much research about this right now. Uh, and the fact that kids are, uh, and I hate to burst any sort of naive bubbles out there, but kids are sending nude images at alarming rates, right? So like, yeah, <laughs> this is not just a, like, and I think that's the perfect way to say it. Randall, you've already said it. Well, this is not a bad kid, this thing. This is kids are sending these things, so they are at risk. Yeah, yeah you know what I was going to say, Brandy? You know what we call what uh, Randall just served up? Parental tip. <laughs> nice. You like well that? Played, sir. That was well played. And I'll throw another one out there because it's pertinent to this case. Oh, oh wait, uh, wait. He's got to do the sound again. Oh, wait, yeah. whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Stand by. You caught me off guard. So, see, I thought he was so ready for this. Listen, I, I can cut that part out. Here we go. Parental tip. Bring it. The, the big parental tip is your kid is never too young to be exploited. Because in this particular case, while the initial victims that we found in Australia were 14, 15, some of the victims that were uh, uh, eventually identified and located in the U.S. were as young as nine. And I think you guys know and have probably had similar cases where kids even younger than that are being handed an iPad or being handed a phone or being handed a, a, a device that connects to the Internet without sufficient parental guidance and at any age they have the ability to be exploited and this case is 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 a perfect one to 
to show that because I had victims all from nine to 17 and I had victims in, I believe it was 10 different states around the country, uh, plus Australia and the UK. And that's just the ones that I could identify. There was about 40 others that I was unable to identify uh, because there just was not enough information in the Snapchat accounts to to get an actual name. Yeah, that's wow. so good. We are, I mean, we are handing kids a live grenade and saying, "Here, don't blow yourself up," and then being surprised when the thing explodes yeah. in their hands. You know, and right. when we don't prepare them for what we've given them, I mean, really, why would we ever get mad and blame a kid for that? That that is absolute parenting fail 101 right yep that's the truth so i didn't mean to uh, we've we'd certainly we've basically we're just doing an episode on parental education right now um <laughs> but i, I do want to make sure we cover your case especially since it is on one of those platforms that we see you know kids having on their device right right and so many kids think that you know because that picture uh, deletes after 10 seconds or whatever the case that it's gone. And what they don't realize is there are a gajillion screen recorders and outside apps that can record Snapchat without the user finding out about it. Um, I know if you, you know, Snapchat has some, some built in, uh, safeties that if they screenshot it in certain ways, it's supposed to notify them, but there are plenty of ways that they can't. And some kids are even I guess, sophisticated or unsophisticated enough to just use a different device. Yep. And so 10 seconds is, you know, like you guys have said before, once you hit send, it's sent and 10 seconds can still be a lifetime. That is absolutely true as well. So let's, let's, uh, I know we've, we took our little side detour, which was a great detour to take because it just, uh, is great foundational stuff for people to take to heart. Uh, but I, I am intrigued because like in the case you talked about last week, you had forwarded us, uh, you know, some, uh, photographs of the people involved in that one and as well as this one. And so this, uh, this character, like, I'm not even sure how to pronounce the name. I'm just going to call him Nelson. Cause that's, uh, his last name. <laughs> that seems a little yeah. easier. Uh, but so, uh, Kai was, um, an 18 year old kid, uh, eight, uh, at the time that we made contact with him and he uh, seemed to be a fairly shy kid, um, didn't really associate much with people his own age. Uh, he had a job, but uh, the people that from the community that he was in that knew him from that job um, classified him as kind of weird. And basically what he had figured out was that he could make an infinite, infinite number of email accounts and an infinite number of Snapchat accounts. And through a little bit of social engineering that really didn't take much because too many kids put too much information out like snap maps and things like that. Right. Uh, he was able to weasel his way into uh, these girls believing that he was somebody trustworthy uh, would get a fairly innocuous, you know, uh, maybe bra shot or something like that and then use it to extort uh, additional exploitive images of those children and he did it from arizona to girls in uh the uk in australia new york ohio california arizona i can't even remember all of the states uh, now, I, not to 
derail us again, but I do want you to educate, you know, help us educate our listeners because we haven't talked about this on here. I don't think about the snap map, but I have talked in person with many people about that. Uh, and I don't think people realize how like that is a part of the app right now. What is, what is snap map? So snap map is something that the user can either turn on or turn off. Um, and it goes with the location services of your phone and basically shows the bitmoji, shows the little uh, icon of your yourself um, in a live map. And it is close enough. It is it is specific enough that um, Kai was able to drill down to almost exact addresses. Wow. And he was able to tell some of these girls, I know what street you live on. I know what house you're in. Uh, with a little bit of, you know, manipulation through Google Maps and things like that could tell them some of the uh, areas that were around their house, the schools they went to, things like that, to make them believe that he was fully capable of doing anything he wanted to do. And if the threat of putting out these images wasn't sufficient, um, he turned to, I'm going to come to your house, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill your family, I'm going to kill your pets, which typically worked yeah uh, and and if you don't know map, snap map is on by default by the way listeners right like yeah. i've i have surprised many a person with that information in presentations and, and it's it's really it's scary how exact it can be uh and i'm not sure what the legitimate purpose is that snapchat says is on there um but let me tell you the number of illegitimate purposes for it is uh, I, I, I have case after case after case where it was used uh, to torment and torture children. Yeah. And we see we. that like, right. Any good thing that has good purposes can be made bad by bad people. So, you know, that's not to say that this app is worse than any others, but it is just, that is what people have started using Snapchat for in some cases is, is, you know, malicious purposes. And so you should know as a parent that we don't give it without restrictions. Right. And I think that goes with any app. Cause like you said, Snapchat in and of itself is not horrible. None of the apps are, but all of them are available for people to use maliciously. And the, the less restrictions we put on our kids, the more likely they are to be exploited. Amen, brother. You're preaching. That's awesome. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So one of the, one of the things I was just looking at some of the bullet points you had sent us. Uh, and for those who haven't heard last week's yet, these, this interview with Randall uh, to do a few case studies has been in the works for us for almost a year, probably pretty dang close to a year. And so, uh, finally through scheduling and, you know, everything else, uh, in between real jobs and everything else, uh, we were able to do this, but so you had sent some, some sort of bullet points on things. So tell us a little bit about when, obviously you got this kid identified and, um, you know, what, what transpires after that, you're making some moves to, uh, obviously execute a search warrant. What do you remember about that? <laughs> so the search warrant was actually pretty funny. Um, we, we initially had it narrowed down to a residence, um, but there were a number of individuals that lived there. And so we, we kind of had to wait until we got to the house to pin it to a particular person, which, uh, unfortunately is, is not entirely uncommon. Um, the way the, the 
computers work and, and IP addresses and things like that. But once we got there, um, it's standard procedure for our agency to use our uh, special weapons and tactics team to be able to make that safe approach. And most times um, we'll use a small element just as the initial uh, contact, bring the people out, they'll clear the building and then make it safe for the detectives. In this case, because we had some indication that some of the individuals that lived in the house were less friendly to law enforcement <laughs> than other citizens, um, they decided to take a bit more tactical approach and uh, basically went up, uh, used the the bullhorn on the uh, on the tactical vehicle and started trying to call the people out um, with that. And the the parents of uh, our suspect um, attempted to not respond by standing behind the door and yelling, <laughs> you've got the wrong house, as our entry team was swinging the uh, the ram into the door. Mm-hmm. And on the first hit, um, it didn't pop the door open. And so she continued to look out the peephole <laughs> and yell, you've got the wrong house, as she watched the ram hit a second time. Uh, which may or may not have caused some slight injuries to her face. So, so you mean watch the ram as it appeared closer <laughs> than objects in the mirror should be, maybe? Right. Um, and Absolutely. lest lest anyone think that we're making fun of of misfortune, um, standing behind a door yelling "You're at the wrong house" to a SWAT team who has probably a lot of information to know they're at the right house and a lot of intelligence to say. We know we're at the right house. And and furthermore, you know, standing behind a door and not responding or yelling back at that's not necessarily probably the first thing we would advise anyone is a good idea, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it probably goes uh, directly against the concept of good ideas, especially after the first hit of the ram. You would think at that point you at least back up out of the way. Yeah. Once you hear that bullhorn and and, you know as anybody can imagine, it's, it's, uh, deafening, <laughs> you know? So, uh, having loud held many a person in houses before it's, uh, it is something else. It, it will literally wake the dead. Sometimes it's, it's about that loud. So yeah, well, the guy on his, on his second life sentence is, is able to hear it as well. So <laughs> after, and, and, and all the neighbors came out and complied, I don't know why they, yeah, were, I'll bet but, they did. Yeah. After the uh, second time the objects in the mirror appear closer than in real life happened, and then what happened next? Uh, At that point, we were able to make entry. Um, The uh, female individual was brought out of the house and provided medical attention. Uh, Her husband decided (laughs) that he didn't want to listen to commands to come out peacefully and started to retreat back into the house, at which point uh, he had to be um, forcibly detained, um, Ruh-roh. which may or may not have potentially caused some injury to his face as well. Uh, but that was the concrete's fault. <laughs> right. And then, uh, we were able to go in and locate, um, Kyra Naglia Nelson, uh, who was the, the final occupant of the resident. And well, so, uh, I would imagine uh, as we referred to in our, Cop lingo, uh, his OODA loop was a little 
a little messed up. <laughs> what was yeah. what was his response? Did he uh, cooperate? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> brought him in for to to start interviewing him, and uh, he was willing to admit to as much as I was willing to tell him I knew at the time. Um, I obviously didn't know about additional victims, but when I started explaining why I was there, who the victims were, that where they were at, what the case was, um, he admitted to absolutely everything, uh, told us where his phone was, which phone was used, uh, which bedroom was his, things like that. And so we were able to uh, obtain uh, all of the forensic evidence that we needed. Uh, and on this case, we actually um, did a uh, a polygraph. Mm. Um, like on scene or after the fact? Uh, we brought him over to uh, the local PD um, to be able to do the forensic polygraph. And that way we could try and figure out whether or not there were any hands-on victims. He lived right across the street from an elementary school. Oh. Um, and there were a couple of other schools fairly close by. It's a, a fairly small town that we found him in. And so we just wanted to make sure that there weren't any hands-on victims. Um, he did pass the polygraph as far as any hands-on offenses, um, but it was mildly inconclusive on whether or not there were other cyber victims. And as a result um, of going through his Snapchat and his devices and things, ultimately uh, there were about 60 to 65 victims, about 15 to 20 of which I was able to identify enough that uh, I was either able to contact them in person or send out leads uh, to other agencies to contact them and, and get their, uh, their information and cooperate. So 60 to 65 victims, which I mean, is a lot, right? Yeah. And that sounds like a huge number, but just for context, Tony has, a case in which he has how many victims do you think that you have had to try to identify? Well, the the initial number that were identified was almost 10,000 victims globally. And so that has has since been pared down, but we're in the 300 range. And of the 300, like, um, there's a significant number, like, you know, double digits, very high double digits, of, uh, actual victims. And, and so, like you said, these, these schemes, these extortions, these things that these offenders are using is a real thing. And it's, uh, you know, it paralyzes these kids who are scared to death that these things are going to happen that they claim. Um, and, and it works on them and, you know, it's paralyzing. And so, um, and that's only to show that, hey, this this is a couple of years ago that this happened. So, you know, my point in showing that you have those many that many victims is that like this is not a problem that is on its way out. Oh, no, this is only getting worse. Right. Because once they have successfully been able to make a scheme work, they're just going to keep using it and using it until they get caught. Yep, exactly. Right. Wow. Insane. So I, I, I guess the question I have is, I mean, we have a uh, context of how things take place here in Texas, obviously, but when you have an offender who is, you know, barely an adult, well, you said he was 18, I think, or 19, I can't remember what you said, but uh, 
what what's the you know sort of end result? Uh, how did it play out uh, in the in the system? So in this case, um, because he was seventeen for at least some of the offenses, um, the prosecutors took some pity on him, and he was offered a plea agreement. Uh, he actually ended up um, taking that plea after a little bit of hemming and hawing. And the plea agreement uh, for Kai was about 10 years, as I recall. Um, He actually got uh, a pretty good number, given that he was a a juvenile for most of it. They tried to say, well, let's let's give him a chance to potentially be redeemed. Let's not throw this kid in prison for the rest of his life, Uh, despite the fact that the some of the images that he had were. Uh, like I said, kids as young as nine, which certainly would have um, made him eligible for a whole lot more time. And that's a tough place to to, I guess, let's how to say this. It's a tough place to be in because there's there are some research, you know, statistics that say that younger offenders are more likely to reoffend um, than some of the older offenders. But you have, you know, that aspect of they're young and you you feel like, you know, they deserve second chances. They deserve, you know, they they may have been not fully developed in their maturing and their their, you know, age development. And maybe they they will make better choices in the future. So it's it's kind of like I mean, I it's sort sort of hard to to know where to land on that. Right. So like. You know, some people are like, oh, he's an adult. He should know better. And that's, you know, he should be put away. But I I see that, you know, he's he's just young still. And and so, yeah, you almost feel like, can he be rehabilitated and and have a better chance at life? Maybe I'm just just thinking out loud here, but it feels like that's a tough situation to be in with such a young offender. Right. And, And, you know, I think that was kind of what the prosecutors were thinking, too, was. You know, at 18, who didn't screw up at 18? Now, most of us didn't screw up that big, but then we also didn't, at least in our generation, have the digital ability to screw up that big. Um, And so at 18, your brain's not formed. You're kind of an idiot, uh, or some of us more so than others. (laughs) And so to try and give him an opportunity, after his prison sentence, he has um, two lifetime tales. Uh, so basically he'll be on probation. Um, and if he messes up again, then he gets sent back if he doesn't. And he is able to fix the malfunction that caused him to end up in that place in the first place, then rehabilitation works and, and he stays, uh, on the straight and narrow. So he's given a chance to try and fix things without, uh, putting him away forever. Had this gone to trial, um, realistically he'd have been looking at the presumptive of at least 170 years given the images that he contained and and some of the threats that he made the ages of the children and things like that so uh he got a pretty good deal out of it and hopefully he can learn from it and make the most of it and and come out uh as a better person yeah well one thing you mentioned here like lifetime probation like holy smokes like that's uh that's a little unheard of here in our area. Uh, 
I guess it shouldn't be a shock to us with, you know, sending your ghost to jail with you when you go for as long as you get in Arizona. But wow. You know, I think the spirit of the law anyway, you know, wasn't written to make a 17, 18 year old kid, uh, to be in that position, but there certainly are some exceptions to the rule. And, you know, this, this kid had some predatory behavior, which is really kind of not great. And so, like you said, he's got an opportunity and hopefully he yeah. takes up that chance and, uh, you know, can turn things around. But And on the flip side, though, you know, there are a lot of victims here that are going to deal with the trauma and the side and the basically the effects of this for a long time. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's something to be said of, you know, there are a lot of victims and, and honestly, how many how many times do we not hear about? You know, the, the victim who maybe they got to the point where they didn't, they couldn't handle it anymore. And maybe they did harm themselves or maybe they're so depressed that they've started, you know, self-harm behavior because of, you know, this kind of stuff going on to them. So, you know, th- this is not a, just because you're young that, well, you know, nothing's going to happen because you were dumb, you know, you're, you're affecting someone's life for a long time in a bad way with this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and we got some victim impact statements from a couple of the victims um, as part of the, the uh, you know, prosecution. And one of the victims specifically um, ended up having to go into some uh, pretty, uh, you know, significant counseling for the PTS that she had because she never knew when he was going to, hit her up again. And she never knew when he was going to ask for another picture. And she never knew when, you know, the other shoe was going to drop and and he was going to decide to uh, put out whatever he had at that point. And that constant living in fear um, drove her to the point where she was beginning to have some, uh, some suicidal thoughts. Uh, And fortunately, you know, this was resolved in a time frame that she didn't act on it. Um, but she did have to, to do a lot of counseling to try and get past that and be able to go on and trust people again and things like that because, uh, of the things that he had said and done to, uh, to, to benefit himself, to, to get his own gratification. Yeah. Good point. You know, it does derail them, uh, in a lot of ways. So I would assume that, uh, the, the programs you have over there probably echo what we have here as far as you know, uh, services and getting those kids back on track. And, and, you know, that's what it's all about. That's why we're all doing the jobs we're doing is, you know, to prevent this from happening. And, um, so man, kudos to you. Good, really good one. Any takeaways on this one? Like, uh, that, you know, you think are worth mentioning, whether we have law enforcement folks listening or, or things that might've been done different. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest takeaways are just, you know, parents needing to be aware of what their kids are doing, um, you know, and, and checking up on, on what their online activities are and things like that, uh, what their security settings are, um, making sure that, you know, kids can't just accept every kid out there or every person out there as a friend, because if they've never met that person face to face, they don't know who's on the other end of that phone. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's 
our 14 year old undercover personas, but sometimes it's the, uh, the persona that the bad guy has taken on. Yeah, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, the, the more diligent parents can be, the less likely their kids are to, to be exploited. So if you're listening to our voices right now and you have a child or, you know, a child in your life that you, um, have it, you know, the chance to speak to, go talk to them about this kind of thing. And, you know, press in a little bit and make sure that you're having these uh, difficult discussions with them. You know, don't just say, Hey, is there anything you want to tell me? Because they may not know how to tell you what's going on to take the chance to say, you know, I've heard this is happening. Is this something that has happened to you? Because you may be surprised and they, they may not know to how to come to you with it. So yeah. that's perfect. I think that's, I mean, that's the best takeaway that we could get out of this kind of thing, which is parents, you know, be, be vigilant. Yeah. As we've heard before on here, right? Dr. Burke, vigilance kills grooming. Vigilance absolutely. stops child predators. Yep. Absolutely. The only thing I would add is, uh, if you're a parent with a child or have access to a child in your life that you and you're unsure because you're behind the power curve as far as your knowledge goes, um, please go over to our website and check out our resources. The resources are there for your benefit, and you can find them on almost all of the major platforms uh, that young people we know are on, and it will guide you through where to look, what to look for, check the settings, how to check the settings. If you're just one of those people who it doesn't come natively to you, um, please check it out. Uh, hit the website, uh, www.catfishcops.com forward slash resources. And there is a ton of them there for you to look at uh, and download. A lot of them are just simple one page uh, overviews, but lots of stuff you can do on there to, uh, to kind of help you out if you're stuck. What else? A lot of silence after that. <laughs> Around this topic. Oh, yeah. Well, no. Hey, listen, that was a great, uh, a great one, Randall. We appreciate you. We know you took some time away and, uh, you know, the time difference from where you are to where we are and you're, you're been working all day. So you're probably ready for dinner. So thank you for your time, man. We're, we're super grateful to have finally got this connection made, um, and get these out there. So, uh, I, that's all I got to say. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you guys. so I, I much. Appreciate what you're doing to to help keeping the kids safe, and uh, you know, parents go delete their Snapchat. <laughs> I, I guess it's the last. Thing. <laughs> right on. <laughs> All right. Well, we will catch you guys on the uh, flip side. We'll be back hopefully with uh, our weekly drops. If we happen to miss a week, don't hold us against uh, hold it against us. We we do our very best to try to get these out there, but we're appreciative to everyone that listens. So thank you for your time. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Catfish Cops podcast, brought to you by Brandon Poor and Tony Godwin. For additional information and available resources, please visit our website, www.catfishcops.com, and click on the resources link. 